Hello, hello. It is episode four, and this week I'm chatting to Michelle Crane. Uh, there will be chats about Blackpool Pleasure Beach, <laughs> um, some uh, insight into uh, the industry and what it's like and how things can change so quickly from like when you get roles. Um, and um, also, also to pre-warn you, a couple of times you're going to hear a very loud beep. Uh, now, this is not because Michelle said something incredibly rude, although I'd tell you what, you're going to be very surprised at what her favourite swear word is. Um, but there are certain things that we could not air on this podcast, certain projects that Michelle is a part of um, that have either not aired yet or um, she can't really talk about. So um, I had to bleep out the name of, um, of those said projects. So don't worry, you're not losing your mind you are listening to the don't think act podcast with ed ismail How are you? Thank you for taking some time out for this. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking me. But yeah, I'm good. I'm trying to think before when I was in, in the waiting room. I was like, I can't remember when I last spoke to you. I think it was lockdown times, you know. Yeah, I think because the last the last time I saw you was just before it all kicked off. I think it was around January, maybe, of 2020. And... I was still in London. So, yeah, and you offered me your free ticket. We went and saw um, Queen and Slim at the Picture House. It was so good. I love that film. So do I. It was my favourite film. Like, well, was it my favourite film? Yeah, yeah, it was. Just that and Parasite was a, was a draw. Yes. <laughs> the cracking films of that year. Um, oh, my God, time flies, hey? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, since then, this. <laughs> That's so cool, though. What a great idea. Thank you. I've decided to do this. I've always wanted to do a podcast, but I've decided to do this because I, I can do this when I can. Like, fit it yeah. in. But, you know, the dream is that this will be become like a resource online for people, um, for, for our peers to sort of tap into and make them feel less isolated and alone in a, in a business which can make you feel that way. Yeah, but, definitely. I guess, especially after everything with the world and yeah. The, you know, where we are in 2023. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, yeah, it's good to find something, isn't it? That you can kind of work around everything else, and yeah. yeah, that works with what you're passionate about. So good for you. Welcome to the Don't Think Act podcast, Michelle Crane. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Um, I'm very excited to have you on here because you know, we 
chatted in the past about lots of different things and I think we've got uh, a lot of similar interests and who knows maybe we'll have some different opinions on things but um yeah very excited to have you on and um like to talk about your journey with creativity and acting but I always start at the beginning so where were you born? Oh I'm very proud of my roots I was born in Blackpool great great part of the world I love Blackpool <laughs> have you been yeah yeah my favorite oh. my favorite holiday was a road trip and Blackpool was part of that road trip and we had a really yeah I love it where well where else did you go on the road trip uh we went up to Lake Windermere and then we saw oh, like and then Love we started it. working our way down. So we drove up there and um, it was kind of like a little theme park thing. So we obviously went to the Pleasure Beach. Um, we did a, we did 24 hours in Liverpool, which we've never been to before, which was wonderful. And then we made our way down to Walton Towers. Um, this is like the best road trip ever. <laughs> it was great. All the northern sights. Oh, it was lovely. It was, uh, yeah, and driving through like York and the Peak District was just stunning. Um, yeah, the Lake District is one of my favourite places in the world. Um, and where do you live now? I now live in, saying that, and picking up the north, I now live in South London. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and what was it like growing up in Blackpool? I loved it. Absolutely loved it growing up in Blackpool. Um, I guess that's where my spark for acting came from, because I think from when I was two, I started dancing because I think Blackpool Entertainment History, it's just in its bones, it's everywhere. So yeah, I was dancing from when I was two and I don't know if you'd have seen when you're in Blackpool, but there's three kind of big theatres there. Mm -hmm. I think one of them is one of the biggest in the country. So I just took for granted that I used to do this show every year and I think it's still running. It's over a hundred years old. It's like a big institution called the Blackpool Children's Pantomime. And it was epic. Like I think it got council funding, full on sets, costumes, the work. So every year got to do this brilliant pantomime, which was like, yeah, everyone gets to do this, don't they? Get to go in one of the biggest stages in the country and just loved it. So I got to do that every year. Um, and just love being by the sea. Mm. Um, can't believe I'm not back there to be honest then I grew up not that far from what you were just saying about Blackpool Pleasure Beach and my nan and gran lived so close to Blackpool Pleasure Beach I used to sit in their porch when I was a kid and watch like the Pepsi Max big one being built at Highlight of Entertainment just sitting there watching it all day and yeah just loved it just like I did it childhood really yeah oh, it sounds wonderful but that is the scariest ride I've ever been in my life um it's terrifying isn't it <laughs> you just feel like you're gonna fall off the edge of it um it's terrifying i went on yeah. when i was about seven oh and I, th I swear the seats are so low on your back you just feel like you're about to fall out i don't yeah. think i've been on really since a couple of times but yeah terrifying yeah no i don't think i would do it again but uh yeah i'm, I'm glad i did it and I'm, I'm glad i saw sort of like the pleasure beach it was gorgeous um so it's like what so what age were you when you started doing those those pantomimes and, and sort of or, or, or did so, so was it obvious from there that that's what something you wanted to do was it was that like a so, a, so a yes realistic... it's pretty much walking sorry my internet just went a bit oh, no wonky there. I was talking over you um sorry what did you say at the end yeah I was going to say so did, did like how how young did acting come to you in in um with the thought that, that this is what you wanted to do or performing was something that you wanted to do I know you started dancing 
Yeah, so I don't know because like I said, I'd always I'd always done it from pretty much walking. And <laughs> so done all these shows annually um in Blackpool and loved it. And at school I think um do you know what actually I think I do know what it was. So when I was about 11, 12, year six of secondary school, they had these open castings for a Tory musical of Summer Holiday. And it was like this big open call audition of like X Factor style, you're through to the next round. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'll go, like I'll have a go. And then kept getting through to the next one and the next one and the next one. Like, this is so much fun. And then obviously didn't see the other side of it at that point. So I ended up getting the job. So like, oh, this is great. I'll do this for the rest of my life. Um, and I loved that so much and yeah, had a great time. So I think that was probably what kicked it off. And after that, yeah, I went to lots of youth group drama in Blackpool. They used to run one, a great actor, Paul David Goff used to run a workshop at Blackpool Grand Theatre. So I did that till I was about 21 and then came off to London. So I guess it's always been there, really. I think at one point, no, I did. I went to uni to study education. I was going to be a primary school teacher. Right. And then, yeah, at the end of the three years, I was like, ah, if I don't do it now. And yeah, that was that. So what training did you seek then after that to, um, to help you with acting? I came to London. Do you know what? I auditioned. I'm not musical theatre at all, Ed. I was so like, yeah, I can do this. It's fine. I'll just go and see what these auditions are about. And I <laughs> went to, and I didn't, I really didn't know, like, about the huge schools, you know, all the mm -hmm. accredited schools, Lambda Rada. I didn't, I think I kind of, looking back, was a bit like, oh, I'm a bit scared of these. So I might just go to the little schools that I haven't really heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and so I auditioned to, I think it's the London School of Musical Theatre. It was like something from a sitcom, me trying to get through these dance rounds. I did not get in. <laughs> and then I auditioned to a school called LSDA, London School of Dramatic Art, which is just a one-year course. And, yeah, I got in there and just went for a year. I think at the time I was only 21, 22, but at that time I didn't realise how young I was. I'm like, I can't go and do three years now. I've just been to university. But, yeah, so I just did one year. And um, what, what sort of things did they take? Was it more stage-based or was, was it a mixture? Or? Yeah, definitely more stage-based. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, weirdly, I've not gone on to do that much stage. I've loved doing more screen. But I think that's a big thing in drama school still now. They really lack on the screen classes and it's more stage-based. And, yeah, like we did three shows, showcase, um, yeah, lots of the, you know, Stanislavski, all of the, um, I'm trying to think, was we, did we do any like, musicals? No, we did, like, yeah, singing, a little bit of dance, but it was mainly stage-based and then so acting course. So do, do you have a preference? I know you mentioned that, you, you know, you've done more screen since sort of training and um, would you say that's a preference of where you'd like prefer, prefer to act or? Do you still have a something for stage? Yeah, I think so. I think that's my preference because it's just what I've gained kind of more experience in. And um, yeah, I would love to potentially at some point do more stage, but it's mm. just where 
where acting's just taken me really yeah and I kind of really like that I guess you do get it with theatre as well but when you're making something especially if it's an indie film or you know short film like it's kind of like a family unit and everyone just mucks in especially if it's low budget to get the job done and I really enjoy that but if the opportunity came for sure I'd love to try and do more stage and is there a piece of acting on stage or screen that you've you've seen that once like blew you away oh yeah um do you know what always sticks in my mind is uh many years ago when I graduated it was like the week of graduating and I'd gone to the national to see it was Saint it was Saint Joan and Anne Marie Duff was in it. Oh wow. And I think oh my gosh, that blew me away. And I think it was one of those, you know, on the day you can get I can't remember what it was now, like ten pound ticket and they reserved the whole front row for the day seat. So I'm hmm. like, you know, right in there. And that still sticks in my mind of like, oh wow. And she's still one of my favourite actresses to this day just was absolutely breathtaking and what what was it what was it was there something specific or was it just the entire performance were you just in awe of the 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 character's journey yeah that and just her as an actor I guess it's one of those things that when you're seeing it it's hard to explain yeah you're just kind of so absorbed by it and what she's creating I guess and what the whole cast are and it was just, yeah, that kind of magic of theatre moment. Yeah, that's brilliant. Have you seen it? Because she did start quite a stuff for the old Vic, didn't she? So have you she, I think it? that was before my time. Yeah, I um, I saw her a few years back. Uh, what did I see her? I saw her in a play. Don't remember what it was called now. Uh, it was just a two-hander, and it was on at the. Um, I want to say it was on at Theatre Royal Haymarket. I don't remember what it was called. I can't remember what it was called, but I think it was on at Wyndham's Theatre. Oh, maybe it was the Wyndham's. Okay, yeah, maybe. I um, can't remember what it was called either, but I definitely saw it. Yeah, it had a really cool set. Um, and, yeah, it was just a, about a, a relationship that struck up between her and, and the other actor who was played by an older actor who I know is like really big, especially in stage, but the name escaped it's, me. Yeah, I'm trying to remember his um, name. Hopefully. Someone's listening to this and is screaming out the name of the play and um, and the actor that was in it. But it was she was great and uh, it was cool because often there's a Q and A, so got a little bit of insight. So yeah, I've always admired her on on screen because um, I've always thought of her as just pretty fearless, um, mm-hmm. very committed, and um, yeah, the performance I remember of hers was she was she had a small part in was it was she. On Chesil Beach or on Chesil Beach with the Saoirse Ronan, and she plays she plays the mother of the person that Saoirse Ronan's marrying, and she's got okay. s- some sort of dementia, and there was this really heartbreaking scene where like he's bringing he's bringing her home to meet his mum, and she's just naked in the garden, she's yeah. walking around naked, and, and I was just like, oh, it's so you know, it was really heartbreaking and moving, and you know, she's committed oh, to sort yeah, of like amazing. the role, and but. So brave. I just, yeah, I always. Mm-hmm. She is. She's so brave. And have you seen Bad Sisters on Apple TV? Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, I love Bad Sisters. one of the best things I've I seen know. this year. Isn't it? I think Big that's one of my Bad top... Sisters. Oh. Just... I think it is one of my top TV shows of this year. Yeah. Like ever. Um, 
beautiful show. Loved it so much. Brilliant. What a great cast. And Sharon Horgan. I know. It's just, Sharon, it's if you're listening, there's amazing. two actors here that would love to work with you. <laughs> Please. So, um, do you, and do you have any like acting inspirations? Are those people careers that you, you follow? Um, you might not even be actors, but um, or that have sort of like when you've seen him, you're like, that's what I want to aspire to. That's a level I'd love well, to get. She's definitely to. one. Yeah. Uh, Amory Duff. Um. Oh gosh, who? Like, I love Maxine Peak. Oh. Um, I think she. What I love about Maxine Peak is. She had an interview with her recently. It might have been at the BFI for a Q&A for something. And I haven't seen it, but it's it's a series where she plays a lawyer, I think. Do you remember what it's called? Um, but anyway, the point was, they were saying that she should change her accent and that she should be RP. And uh-huh. she's like, no, why are you saying I can't do this job with a northern accent? And mm. um, uh, Yeah, I love her for that. And oh gosh, there's probably so many people out there, and I just can't think of anyone. Yeah, um, well, Maxine Peake is a great, great role model for any actor. Like anyone, yeah. listed, if you go and seek out anything she's done, and you'll get an acting lesson from it. Think of that series because it's been on my to watch list for ages. Um, Sarah Lancashire, of course, is just mm. the best. Um, and Sarah Lancashire, yeah. she's. She's like, she's one of these interesting sort of looking looking at the acting journey as we are. Like, there's not many people that like come out of soap and then sort of go on to do more. I don't I don't dismiss soap because it's a, it's a job for for an actor and it's and it's very hard work. But people don't tend to come out of soap and do more interesting, gritty, cutting edge mm. things. Um, and then and then. Win copious awards. I mean, she's yeah, she's phenomenal. I only watched Happy Valley this year for the first time. And, Me too. Um, and binged the whole lot. And same. You know, I think it's one of, my, one of the darkest things I've ever seen. Um, and um, and I like a lot of dark things, but this was like, this was a bit. But she was phenomenal. I don't I don't know how she did it. Like for every for every series that they filmed, the sort of level of emotion that she's keeping just right there mm-hmm. just right behind the eyes and just you know that character is so welcome to have a breakdown at any minute if they want to because of what they've been through but she's uh, yeah I've just, yeah really really phenomenal she is and you think the contrast of that character from going back to soap so playing Raquel in yeah. Coronation Street is yeah. just a shows like what she can do and there's quite a few people you know who've I love soaps I think sometimes I grew up on them grew up on Coronation Street so um I think there's there's quite a few people who I think it must be a great I've never done a soap but I would love to and I think it's such a great training ground to you know go through that much story that quickly Mm. and the character development that must happen and how quickly you must have to work. It says Catherine Kelly, who has done quite a lot since Coronation Street. Saran Jones, of course. Yeah, Saran Jones is another one. Too yeah. Um, I'm sure there's many others, but yeah, not to dismiss Soap. It's 
Yeah, I've got a bit addicted to Emmerdale at the moment, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. Um, yeah, and might be potentially writing for point. Really? TV. Yeah. I mean, you might have to cut this out. I don't know if I'm allowed to say. <laughs> but might, um, Maybe not, but we will come to your writing journey later. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is uh, when my love for soap um, comes into just, good use. We'll just say you've got an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, an opportunity to write, to write for something. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, I might have to tell you about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bleep it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, uh, we mentioned um, COVID at the beginning of this call. How... How did COVID affect you creatively? And if you want to go into it personally as well, we'll start with the creative side. Um, creatively, it actually gave me a lot of time. It's a really tough one because I know COVID was awful for so many people. Um, but for me personally, um, obviously the beginning was really stressful like going back to personal like not knowing where money was going to come from but when I realized that like okay it's going to be okay for a little while all the projects that I'd had in the back of my head for ages that I wanted to write that you know living in London working like three or four jobs to live you just don't have that time to make your brain go into that space and to be able to sit with something or just start to write something so yeah, it gave me time, which was, yeah, just what I needed. Like, I'd had this idea for a film set in Blackpool that I'd wanted to write forever. And at the time, I'd not even written a short film, let alone a feature film. But because I had the time, I was like, I'm going to try and write a feature film. And I read it back now, and I'm like, oh, gosh. Um, but, you know, I did it, and I got through it. And I think that's the toughest bit. I can go back and edit it and, um, you know, make it better at some point, which I still need more time for. But I then wrote a short film, which without the time I wouldn't have been able to do, and managed to get it made, which was brilliant. And um, yeah, and then it was still kind of, when did I film it? October 21. So it was still, yeah, like we were still testing on certain things. So it was still COVID times, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, which made it a bit trickier, but through that managed to yeah, managed to find funding and yeah, cast, crew, everyone came together. And so in that sense, it that because I've wanted to write for a long time. And so it really gave me the push to be able to do that. And also in lockdown there was a course that I did, which kind of sparked everything. I'm kind of jumping between times here, Ed. Bear with me. So before, right. um, yeah, before, was it before the show? I don't know. At some point after 2020 or during 2020, uh, New Writing Northern Sky Studios created this course for people from Blackpool. And I got a place on it, which was a six-month placement for people who wanted to be screenwriters. And it was run by one of the screenwriters on Emmerdale. And it was brilliant. It was like one class a week. We had, you know, deadlines. It was, and yeah, masterclasses from different people who worked in different parts of the industry. And by the end, we had to make a pilot episode and a pitch. 
and just having that like I still have a WhatsApp group with everyone from the course now. So just having that kind of support network Brilliant. just really made us do it. And from that was I've been able to apply for like all the BBC writers room schemes and other things that come up because I've got that to be able to send. So I'm yeah, really grateful to have been able to do that. And tell us about the short that you wrote. The short I wrote is called Granny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've seen it. I'm not sure. Um, and it's about women's football, which was banned in 1921, which is very topical at the moment with the World Cup. Um, and it came about because on Twitter, I saw this tweet from Steve Bolton, who tweeted for Blackpool Heritage about his grandma who played football and he didn't ne- he never knew. He never knew that she played football until after she died. And years, years later, found all these things in the loft about it. So yeah, I was like, this is amazing. It needs to be a film. I replied to a tweet and then he said, oh, do you want to play my granny? And I was like, well, I can't play football, but I will happily try and write it. <laughs> and then um, he came around with like this suitcase full of memorabilia. I thought, like, wow, I've got to write this now. And yeah, did. And managed to get funding from Vanti Trains because um, I produced it as well. And my... Um, producer head went okay this is set in Preston trains Avanti trains go through Preston maybe there's a link and coincidentally pure luck at the time they were running this educational scheme about the Dick Kerr ladies football team which is based in Preston which is who Lizzie played for so there was this link so they um, part funded it which is how it came to be and it's had a good festival run isn't it yeah it's still going like I'm still pushing it yeah it's done (laughs) it's shown at London Independent Film Festival it's got into a couple of BIFA qualifying festivals Beeston and Wigan which is in September um Blackpool come back to the hometown and it's back in Blackpool again in Lytham next weekend and yeah it's done good luckily was this the was this the first thing you've written yeah, well, kind of, I wrote that fe- the feature about Blackpool first, which I still right. need to go back to, but it was the first short film I'd written, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's so incredible. I remember, I mean, I don't know if it was the first one, but I remember one of the, reading one of the early drafts, and I remember saying to you, like, this needs to be seen, like, this story yeah. needs to be told. Um, it's such an important story. And at the time of recording, we are, commiserating at the loss of the Lionesses losing in yesterday's World Cup final um, which was a tough one to swallow but we're England supporters we used to do it by now <laughs> um, but they were still amazing they were they were indeed they were but um, it's it, I think I think that was just also I don't I don't know like if you know some Someone will call it a coincidence. Someone will call it, another person will call it fate. Someone will call it the universe. But I think that story coming to you at a time when women's football was really, really ramping up as well. Yeah, I think it was just even if it's just a coincidence, it was a beautiful one. Like it was just, and that's a really interesting um, kind of example of like in this business how timing is just plays the biggest part in everything like it really is yeah like it doesn't matter what you've got under your belt it doesn't matter how talented you are what you've written what kind of story it is like 
if it's not the time for that to happen, then it won't. And then when it does, and when things fall into place, I mean, was it? I'm not. That's not to say that it was a picnic. Um, was it quite hard to put this together? Because we were, were you going in quite blind. This being your first project that you've written, and obviously you've worked yeah. on film sets before. But yeah. when it's your own thing, it's a bit different, isn't it? Totally went in blind. <laughs> totally, and like you say, it's just pure luck of timing because when I wrote it I wrote it because I really connected to the story like I just love that story of like this lost story and I think there could have been a danger of if you wanted to get something made because I know nothing about football really I've learned a lot since but still you know it's not my subject matter and I think if you wanted to write a story oh actually do you know what women's football is really on the up maybe I'll write a story about this but I didn't consciously think that at all it was just pure coincidence that at the time um you know since the Euros happened the World Cup happened and you know the Lionesses are incredible and I've just totally gone on a rant again away from your question then about oh it was difficult to do um yes and no but mainly yes um because yeah the director Francis knew the brilliant DOP Ian mm-hmm. and which took care of so much of the organization because Ian's mum let us use his house. Ian had his own equipment and is brilliant. And Steve, who's the grandson of Lizzie, was he did every job going, like he became runner, location, finder, because he knows <laughs> Preston so well, because he grew up there found us like these amazing cobbled streets because it was set in the 70s um yeah so it was a lot to organize definitely but the team I wouldn't have been able to do it without everyone else doing all what they did you know um yeah it was fun like I really enjoyed it I don't know if I'd have said that midweek when I was pulling my hair out <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, to like look back at the film and be like, "Wow, it's amazing! We we all made this." Yeah, that's beautiful. And what what do you think you learned from that whole experience? What 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 was your big takeaway from it? Oh, good question. Um, that you can do it, I guess. You know, sometimes these things seem impossible, or you know, like the you can't achieve it or you might have written something and think oh no one I want to make this or you're just writing it for yourself but yeah with the right team or if you have enough passion for it then yeah you can you can make it happen and like yeah. you say it's like a, re- a weird alchemy of luck and hard work yeah. um and it just there's just sometimes a magic where it all came together and you're just like, I don't know. I think what I took away from it initially was like, I don't know what just happened. I don't know how we did that. <laughs> and because I wasn't involved really like with the edit and things, like how how is this going to work? And then, yeah, magically, like Francis had good music connections and all of these other things that come to make it complete that, yeah, it just, it just worked. Well, that's brilliant. Well, you should be really proud. I mean... I mean, I was really proud when you first like showed me that first or second draft or whatever. So it's just like this is it's such an important story, um, and it's yeah. I was just like I was honoured to read it, honoured to know someone had written something like that. 
Um, and now that it's out there, it's going around festivals, and it's it's having a life from, you know, what was something you just saw? Did you say you saw it on Twitter? Yeah, That's, I think me, me and Steve did this post where we screenshotted the our first ever tweet when I didn't even know him, <laughs> and then a picture of us on set where I'm dressed because I play his mom to make wow. it even bizarre. Yeah, we're just like, how did this happen? Uh, yeah, but thank you and thank you for reading it and for all your support. No, of course. Without yeah, supportive friends along the way, yeah, these things don't happen. I think it takes you know, a group of people, you know, people that you can just be like, oh, would you mind reading this? Or what do you think of this? And to get that feedback and to know you've got those people that even if, you know, that you can take truthful feedback from or that you don't mind them seeing something that isn't quite right yet, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it takes, you know, that's what the, the Americans say, it takes a village to make Indeed. a Indeed, yeah. And, you know, you do need that support and you do need those peers. And I think, um, if there's anyone listening <laughs> to this who, who doesn't feel like they've got an artistic family, yet, like we're here, <laughs> we're, mm-hmm. we're here, and we want to help, and we want we want the best for everyone, and we want everyone to be able to tell the story they want to tell. Um, it is it is hard finding your tribe, but once you do, it's like you say, it doesn't make you feel like anything is possible. Um, mm-hmm. It gives you the confidence. Um, so I guess on on so on on an average day on set, your responsibilities because you you would have had two hats on, right? Because you were acting, but you were producing as well. Yeah. So what what was that like? It was alright because actually I only had a small part in the film, so I think I was only filming one or two days. I think just one, um, and we had five days. So there were some times where like I was getting ready slash ordering the catering and ringing up where someone's boom mic had been lost and like doing lots of different things but it was fine there was no other option so it's just like I've just got to do it um it was yeah it just had to be done and yeah I think at the time the adrenaline and the excitement just gets you through and then yeah you're exhausted for a week or so but it's all worth it because it gets done Great. That's so wonderful. Yeah. I haven't and, written another short film since and you you write like every time like on Instagram, like, how's Ed done another script? You amaze <laughs> me. Like I, I can't do that. It's like that's what's the scheme that you did um Oh the playwriting like one. Twenty eight plays. Twenty eight plays later, yeah. So for any oh. anyone that wants to stab at writing, twenty eight plays later that um that's done by the literal challenge. Shout out to them. And uh Every February, uh, you write a play a day for the whole month, so 28 days. Unless it's a leap year, one year, as it was, which um, I had to do 29. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good kind of way to get used to writing often. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I guess, you, what you learn about that, well, well, not you, what I learned about doing it was. We quite often as creatives, because I think creatives are quite lazy people. <laughs> like we have all these great ideas, but like motivation <laughs> is not at that level. We don't have as much motivation all the time because a lot of it is self motivation, right? And it's really hard. And we've got life to deal with. We've got exactly. Food. I think that we've comes got... from though, like having to work. Yeah, we have to work. We to have live. to put yeah. food on the table. You know, keep a roof over our, roof over our heads, and um, so. 
well, what is it we always say? Oh, I, I want to do this, I've got an idea for this, but I just don't have the time. Now, when you do 28 plays later, you've got, you get your brief at uh, 10 at night, and then it's due in, not the next morning at 10 a.m., but the morning after. So you've got about 36 hours to write um, anything that you're inspired by, whatever the brief is. And what you find it, what I, well, what I found um, is that there are days where you've got like the whole day. So you're like, great, I've got the whole day. I've just got the whole day writing. Great, I'll do something. Great. Or there'll be days where, well, I've only got two hours. So I'm going to write <laughs> for two hours. And these aren't full length plays. Uh, they're short plays. The interpretation of how, you know, what a play is is also open to you. So it can be a page. You can, you know, you can choose your own structure if you just, you know, everything's going to be 10 pages long. But again, it's to do with how much time you have. And I was surprised the ideas I came up with with just two hours in comparison to when I had the whole day to think about something. The work yeah. was much more interesting when I had a limited <laughs> amount of time. Yeah. Um, but I, and I, I don't know, I, you know, it's just, it's just, it's an interesting sort of exercise to kind of work out how you work best as a writer, I suppose, because no one's mm -hmm. going to tell you. Um, and you've got to sort of find it out for yourself. But um, it, it can be a lot of fun. I've done it about five years in a row now. Every year I keep saying, That's oh, amazing. Last time I'm doing it. This is the last time I'm doing it. Um, so, but they've also done some short, they did, during lockdown, I did a short film one for 14 days, which I really enjoyed, which I got some really good ideas. Oh. Um, and they, they do um, short stories as well. And yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, Have you found, like, in the years you've done it, any differences like have you found that it gets well, maybe not easier but you understand the process a bit more or um if you're struggling one day to come up with a an idea or characters that you can find tricks to get around it or is it kind of the same every year? i mean the trick is death you just kill off everybody and then <laughs> the end um <laughs> the, but but yeah i mean you uh, no, I guess I get observations about like, oh, if I'm writing comedy for stage, oh, this seems to be my style, and I seem to have this certain voice um, doing funny stuff, and I have this certain voice when I'm writing something that's maybe tragic or dark or, or dramatic. Um, so those sort of the observations I saw, I, I wouldn't necessarily say um, it offers you any structure because you're still doing it on your own, making it up as you go along, um, as we all are all the time with everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's great. Hello. Hello, we're back. Are you enjoying it? I'm loving it. Loving it. It's yeah. so because I've taken a break from acting, so being able to talk still talk shop is really nice. Um and uh yeah, just this is I've always wanted to do a podcast. I didn't really know what I wanted to do a podcast about. And then when I had this idea, I was like, Yeah, this is really important. It's such a great idea and it's nice you can keep, you know, you don't have to just I feel like acting can become all consuming if you let it. And yeah. it's not healthy, is it? It's kind of yeah. You know, and you get an audition like once every blue moon or something. And it's good to have something that you enjoy like this to, you know, keep you creative, meet people, chat to people. Um, 
because like you think you said earlier on it can be can be lonely and just a bit isolating can't it so Definitely. good feeling making it happen <laughs> thank you <laughs> so michelle what part of acting do you love oh good question it's like why do any of us do it <laughs> <laughs> why that's um, what i'm looking to learn why why do we do it um there's so many things like like i don't know understanding a character like i love getting a script and you're just thinking okay why are they doing this or why they like this or why they're friends with this person or it's kind of like you become like a psychologist as well don't you like i really like that analytical aspect with characters and maybe that's why i have moved into writing a bit more because that's what i love about writing as well of like why do people do what they do um and i love as well not solely just the acting but making things like just talking to you about the short film like making things happen getting a team together that all want to be involved it's just yeah it's like nothing else really that sounds really cheesy but yeah Not you're making cheesy. your own your own thing and yeah just love it and I don't really know why I love it Ed I probably don't explain <laughs> that very well there are times when I don't to be fair good because <laughs> that's the, that's my next question <laughs> what part of acting do you not love? <laughs> Was that really the next question? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, what don't I love? I think it's the in. Well, the industry itself just isn't fun, is it? It's. I'm not gonna be negative about it. Um, it's not about. So what I want for this podcast, I don't. It's not about being negative. It's about being realistic about how we yeah. feel about certain aspects of the business. And I think it's important for people to know, especially if they're just starting out and mm. this is what they've decided to to pick up and listen to, thinking this might give them <laughs> an idea. <laughs> that I don't love about it. Um, oh, gosh, where to begin, Ed? Like, I think it's just such a weird industry and there's nothing else like it. Mm. I think I was saying to... Steve mentioned our mutual friend Steve the other day. I was like, when we, the year me and Steve graduated, we didn't go to the same drama school, but um, it was kind of the birth of social media. It was like when Facebook had started and casting mm. called Pro, like that had just been born and Mandy and all of those. And it was a real dark side to the industry, like really weird casting calls and just like unregulated like anyone can there's been this really really weird casting of Mandy once it was um improv like about this stalker you have to be in your nightwear like in this bed and the casting was at my house and you're just like uh no no thanks oh. and this is all like way before me too happened but you kind of think so you're, you're <sighs> talking you're talking about fake castings that aren't real yeah I mean created by perverts I guess yeah but I mean (laughs) the year that because social media just happened and all these sites just popped up Mm. and I graduated at a time where it was just like how how do you move through this industry and try and because you genuinely want to find jobs and I think there's that that was the danger if there are people that would go to these castings or you know just 
be really naive about it or think these sites were regulated so there's that side of the industry that is just a bit I think people get exploited and not in that extreme sense that I've just given a scenario of (laughs) (laughs) in many ways in like in your time um I feel like I'm grateful for any castings that I get but sometimes I think especially since Covid um we're asked to do a lot you know and like it is like you don't want to like oh you know everyone's like actors like oh I really want the job like I don't want to be you don't want to rock the boat but also when you're getting tapes with a day to get them back and you've got jobs and lives um and now since Covid a lot of commercial tapes when you've got a funeral forms that would you'd usually be in and out of a commercial casting in what 10 minutes and now you've got a all first rounds aren't they pretty much taped so you know you're you're filming it you're editing it you're sending it off you're doing all of the head sheets all of the forms um and yeah like I don't want to seem ungrateful like please still send me castings world but I think yeah I think there's a bit of a change though isn't there this is all with all the strikes there's just it's the thing it's a big shift happening um with that and hey and yeah there's a whole lot that I don't love about it but at the same time I could be really positive about self-tapes and love them and since that have since Covid way more opportunities and way more chance to be seen um yeah so I don't want to seem bitter about it but (laughs) what don't you love about acting Ed? Oh no this is this is not my interview (laughs) (laughs) um but I do, I do, I, I, I sympathise and advise anyone in regards to the whole self-taping aspect. Um, I'm, I've said this already on another episode, and I'll probably say it on many more. But you know, when self-tapes, you know, I, I'd done self-tapes years before they were becoming well, before they're here now, like all mm-hmm. the time. It's, it's a, all the requests are self-taped now, and um, before it was just like the occasional ones were coming through and they were they tend to be for commercial ones but I remember thinking at the time oh so you know I'm not an actor anymore I'm an actor and a filmmaker now because I have to film this myself to find someone to read in mm-hmm. um, you tend to have people read in that aren't actors because it's like a family yeah. um, you know or your next door neighbour um, ah. and like the being in the room with people was like was always really exciting because uh, yeah, you want to meet, you know, you can't, you can't really judge people's personalities very well. You know, you've got to know yeah. who you're working with, and it doesn't matter how great they are at acting. If if you don't spend five minutes with them to get an idea of their ego or, or their level of professionalism, or just to see if they can turn up on time, you know, I think I think it's it's dangerous. And um, mm. yeah, that's it. I think what you just more... sorry, I mean, to cut you off on. No, no, it's all right. Uh, God, what are we going to say? No, it's the same what you said about being in the room. That's the main thing. After my big rant about it, I think that's the key because mm. the excitement of going in the room and meeting the people involved, the director, producers, casting director, that's the whole part of the fun and what I think makes you a better actor. Because I remember the first commercial I went in for the room for after COVID. Um, I, start, I just totally messed it up. Me and the director were laughing our heads off because... I was just like a step ahead because I was so used to doing my own tapes. You know what I mean? Doing the ident. They weren't even asking me to turn. And I was so used to <laughs> the COVID kind of time tapes. So I'm like, oh yeah, off you go, Michelle. Um and yeah, it was just ridiculous. It's like, okay, 
need to sort that out for the next one. But if you're going in the room all the time, obviously that wouldn't happen. I hope my agent doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Very good example of the industry and how things are not in your control. So mm-hmm. I hadn't had a t- I had a small TV job in lockdown in Pennyworth, um, which I think if it wasn't COVID, actually would have probably been like a supporting artist part really I remember you I remember when you got that role yeah yeah and and then before that I probably hadn't had a tv role for years and years and then yeah within within two weeks I got a job on I'm not allowed I'm still not allowed to say what it is I don't think but it's like a a Hollywood feature film wow and then and then I got an episode of so like this is ridiculous it's like years yeah. without anything which is yeah. like what the industry is like but then within a heartbeat it all changes so I'd gone for the film for the costume fit I was days away from filming and then the writer's strike happens so I think it's it's already started filming but it all got pulled mm. and the lead is American as well so as well as the writer so yeah it was all put on pause but this is like two months ago now. So I'm thinking, oh, wow, is this ever going to get picked back up? Because I've not heard anything. And I mean, I hope it does. And I'm sure it will at some point. But there are lots of factors like the other actors will have other jobs to go to. So will the director. Um, and a lot of it in the script is outside. So I'm thinking they're going to want summertime filming. So it's just this lull. And it's like, this is just so typical. Like, it was so close. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Um, yeah, but hopefully it will come back. So it's kind of a positive slash depressing story, really. Just well, it, well, so much is under control. It's the harsh reality, yeah, and the not controlled yeah. things like, you know, uh, not to put anyone off acting, but, I mean, some of the horror stories I've heard, of like, and by horror stories, I'm, that's, oh, that's very dramatic of me, but then I'm an actor, um, of like, someone getting cast in a role like you say um they've gone through um quite a few recalls like audition after audition mm-hmm. then, then the chemistry read and then it's all done and um like casting director happy director happy uh you know paperwork's done and and, and this is sort of like again sort of high higher budget higher profile kind of more mainstream film um and then the first day of set producer turns up and goes no don't like the look of that person oh my gosh it's let's so get, hard let's get someone else in and like literally you can be you could be fired for no reason whatsoever mm. <laughs> and if it's one of these big budget films then like you know you'll probably you'll probably get paid for it and whatnot but you know you'd rather have a bloody yeah, role yeah but it's, it's not even like yeah about the money at that point is it yeah. you just you just want the role well you've gone through all that thing and i think i think um, where we as actors at the moment, what's being used the most is our time. So again, with the self mm-hmm. thing, like totally. a lot of our time is being used more than it, it would do before. Um, mm-hmm. So when you factor in any preparation you want to do, or any character work and everything, whilst you're having to set up your camera and set up your lights and your backdrop, yeah. whatever, and you know having the camera phone the right way if you're using your phone and yeah it's it's uh so much time and you think like even with that job I was just mentioning mm. it's kind of 
don't want to be negative about it but you kind of you're just left in limbo a lot in this industry and you like I said before the only power you have is saying no to stuff Mm. or yeah you kind of feel like you should be a little step behind a lot of the time where you don't want to tread on people's toes but in the most respectful way you can without being a dickhead I think you have to a lot of the time um yeah but anyway I mean the strikes are important and they have to happen but it was just bad timing yeah yeah 100%. <laughs> Me, personally. yeah uh-huh. well so many things are on hold now but I'm yeah. I'm really like and now the actors have gone on strike I just think there's such a wonderful seeing that solidarity is yeah um, it really is and camaraderie and community and knowing that we've been nowhere without writers Absolutely. like you know and um yeah, I'm 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 really pleased and it's you know it's yeah, it's a shame stuff's not happening, but business isn't going anywhere, you know. Um, yeah, it's just hopefully gonna come back stronger and people will be more united and feel like they've got more power. Cause I think from everything we've said, that's what's needed. People need to feel like they've got more power. Yeah. And yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah, it is it's sort of tight. I mean I was going to say time's up, but that's a tagline for something else. But in regards to uh, in, in regards to people who are on the top of the food chain, especially when it comes to filmmaking and, and these TV series, like everyone needs to be um, valued. You know, mm-hmm. they need to get what they you know they need to meet their valuation because it's 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 insane what people are on. I think the uh, president of Disney this is Bob Iger he's not going to give me a job now um, he's on he makes $77,000 a day it's just insane it's insane um, and he's not been supportive he's spoken out against the strikes uh-huh. and he finds he's the whole thing ridiculous now with like these people in power and of these streaming sites I guess that have just are money led not creative led and that's where the danger is and they can't see kind of like without sounding dramatic the struggle beneath mm. and don't understand what it takes to make something they're just like well here's the money and yeah it's infuriating isn't it think like a good example i heard on another podcast the other day was that um i've, I've not seen the show but I, i've heard of, like Orange is the New Black was a huge deal. Mm. And uh, and it was something that people came to a little bit later on. It wasn't like it didn't have its peak audience when it first started. It was when it was on Netflix, obviously. It had a bit more marketing behind it. But the people, some of the actors working on that show, and this was the Netflix's biggest show at the time, were working full-time jobs as well. Yeah, I saw that. I saw a clip of that on Instagram. I can't remember the name of the actress because I, I did watch it. They weren't getting was... paid enough to live. Yeah, and they're on the biggest show. Absolutely insane. Doesn't make it just doesn't make sense, does it? It's just that that jump from TV with our like three channels where people would get repeat fees and stuff to just how do they manage streaming? I guess it's all relatively new, isn't it? Yeah. And how does that profit get passed back down as it should do? And how do you deal with rejection? 
like I think you just get used to it and it's one of those things that yeah no one loves about acting but going back to the whole tape in the room I feel like if you've been in the room and you've met the people and you feel like you can really feel in yourself you've done a good job or maybe you've planted the seeds for something else in the future then it makes it so much more bearable Mm. but when it's so you're signing off tapes tapes and you're like are people watching them what's happening to them and you hope like of course they are but you're so alone on this side of it and just sending it off into the internet and then the whole yes no thing like not hearing most of the time anything back especially when you put your everything into it it Mm. is really tough it is tough but you just have to hope that you did a good job someone watched it you hope they did and will hopefully bring you back for something else but that has happened to me a couple of times so have to keep the faith of that yeah if you don't hear there'll be another one just keep going yeah 100 percent. and yeah. do you do you have a funny or cringeworthy audition story <laughs> there's probably commercials are ridiculous aren't they there's so but, many i mean i mean i've some ridiculous commercial tapes but i can't remember <laughs> any in the room um or like no have you got any Oh yeah, love, of course. Love an, got, I love I've an audition story. Got plenty, but um, as I said, this is this is mine. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but we yeah. want to hear them. With um, I think there's always a there's always an element of auditions which is there's an element of humiliation with every kind of audition, I think, but particularly commercial ones. You are asked oh, to. Yeah. You don't you don't tend to be asked to act much. Um, it's, it's always slightly heightened slightly unrealistic um so uh yeah yeah i got i got a few but yeah i put you know fair enough i'll put you on the spot with that one if if something comes to mind over the course of this just uh, no i think it's just because commercials are the go-to because they're so like you say they're heightened and they're often ridiculous yeah yeah i'm thinking there must be one there must be one for that i think i got the giggles in a recall one to be an elf in a christmas advert Mm surprised they kept me in because I just had this there was few of us but I think we all had to look the same or be the same height and we were all meant to be passing these toys down this production line and I just look I kept looking because we were like, like passing them down I thought like, this is this is hilarious this is my life and then I started to get the giggles and I tried to make it into some kind of like elfish like ridiculous giggle and then just, yeah it was embarrassing <laughs> I did not get the job but they must have just thought she's taking the piss <laughs> like um, fun of commercials do you have like um any kind of preparation ritual before you do a scene on screen or before you go on stage or are you superstitious at all i'm not superstitious no um no no ritual maybe that makes me bad i don't know maybe no, we should, not at all <laughs> we should have a ritual just hope all goes well um no, no, I don't. Maybe I'll have one from now on. Like, <laughs> There's no reason why you should have. Because so, some, some people, you know, they, yeah, there's been a variety of answers. And some people don't at all. Mm-hmm. Some people just take a moment to themselves um, before a scene. And some people, I don't know, do just uh, outrageously crazy things. Because <laughs> we're, <all, laughs> we're all different and we're all wired differently. We all come to the work in a different way. And it's really, uh, you know, but. um. Some people can just do the work, can't they? Some, some people don't need to do anything. <laughs> you must be one of those, Michelle. I don't know about you that. Just get on with it. 
just power <laughs> on through. <laughs> and um, is there something is there something that you do that brings you joy that isn't connected to the, the industry? Not created to the industry. Um, I th- yeah, I think you've got that's the key. You've got to find joy in other things. Um, mm. Otherwise, what's the point? Because you'll just end up going feeling bonkers all the time. Um, yeah, me and my friend Susie started our own kids' music and drama school. That brings me a lot of joy. Brilliant. Um, yeah, because like we started it, obviously, as like a sideline for all of the jobs. And it's nice because it gives a bit of a routine, but also, you know, inspiring the next generation. Like Some of the kids have been with us for really about seven years now. Wow. Um, and it's nice, like, when you haven't got control in acting because you don't do, you do what you do, you do your best, and that's all you can do. And a lot of it is just in the hands of the acting gods, whereas it's nice to have something because we built it for years and it's grown. And so that gives me joy and something to be proud of. Yeah, it's, it's kind of outside the industry. It's still slightly related to the industry. But our, our thing was we weren't got, we didn't want to be a school that was um, kind of a stagecoach. Nothing's about stagecoach. I've worked for stagecoach years ago teaching, but didn't want it to be like these kids are the next of the West End or anything. It was just to yeah. come and be creative, have fun, mm. make friends, you know, all the things that drama as a kid can, can do, like, you know, build confidence and, so some of the kids, like, they don't want to be in shows or they'll be nervous. So we're like, okay, come and be a stage manager or come and help with the costumes. And so, yeah, we're not about that. So I really enjoy that. That sounds really lovely. And it sounds a lot less, not that the, the other theatres, sort of uh, youth theatre schools are are pressure, but it always tends to be like, you know, you're working towards a performance and yeah, everyone's got to be involved. Yeah. And, you know, you might hate what you're doing, but you're going to stand there and you're going to sing. Um, yeah. you know it, it could, yeah that, that's really interesting I, yeah and and how so how young are the ages of the, uh, the kids that you teach how, how, um, how young do they go our littlest is three <gasps> oh no we we say from four but we sometimes take three-year-olds because we get a lot of requests actually so I don't think many other schools take three-year-olds because they are super tiny um yeah but if they're used to going to nursery it's only on a Saturday for an hour and a half um yeah, and the oldest is 12, but some of the kids that are 12 have been with us since they were about four, and now they're going to high school. So we've had to make this other class for the older kids so they don't feel like they're in the babies anymore. <laughs> yeah, so we're kind of just growing with the kids. Like, I hope they're still with us when they're 18 or off to the National Youth Theatre or something, <laughs> or winning BAFTAs in years to come. Well, like, I taught them. That's the dream. Um, <laughs> and you run this with just one other person? Yeah, wow. yeah. My friend Susie, because we worked backstage at Phantom of the Opera for years pre-COVID, and both wanted to do something new. And yeah, it's been going a while now. That's brilliant. But yeah, it's good to have. You have to have something else. You can't. Hmm. I mean, if it comes to a point where acting is all you have to do, then amazing. But yeah, you've got to find something else to. I think the, time, yeah, the, the difficulty is that acting isn't always what you can do. <laughs> it's that's the thing of like jobs, isn't it? Of just being able to find something that if an audition comes up or a tape or something that you have that flexibility and yeah, that's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, possible, but not easy. Um, 
but that gave us a bit more flexibility and yeah I just hated having to like you know get the holiday off or bring in sick when you're not to get to the audition (laughs) yeah yeah. it's just an extra layer of stress you don't need yeah and it's I think it's a lot harder to find flexible work if you don't live in a big city Mm. um or even if you don't live in London I mean I don't know what I don't know what it's like I've not lived I've lived in other places um but I've not I don't know what it's like in say Manchester or Birmingham or Leeds or Liverpool like um from my experience and because London is a place I've lived the most in my life um does I've got a fair idea about like how to go about getting flexible work but it must be really difficult if you're in other parts of the country and particularly if you live in an area where maybe the arts isn't celebrated as much or isn't there isn't as much enthusiasm behind it um you know but then I guess people I guess people leave then don't they um you left Blackpool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, um, and that's I know. a pretty and that's a pretty happening place for, for it is you know like there is like a lot of I've just started a new musical theatre course at the Grand Theatre and there is a lot happening and I think there probably is I find teaching work is probably it's not for everyone but a really mm. flexible thing um and there probably is a lot of that there but some places uh like you say it's it, that's the hardest thing and it's sad that people can't make it can't juggle that and especially if you've got families and it's yeah it's not easy uh especially yeah working class actors who you know some people are fortunate enough that they'll have this have a certain amount of support where they don't need to do that but yeah it's tricky especially in London with the astronomical rent Mm. and everything else yeah I think um if you can to the best of your ability find a job in a in a creative environment that's still involved in the arts somehow, like you go and work in the theatre, okay, if it's not a theatre, then you go and work for, I don't know, a film company, or you go and work, I mean, even, and even if it is office work, which isn't always great, but then if, you, if you're still like on the inside somehow, and if you're still working with other creative people, that's such, it makes such a difference yeah. from when, you know, I've been, I've worked the corporate jobs, I've worked in corporate offices, I've done a nine to five, and, you know, when you tell people, <laughs> when you tell the the muggles if you like that you know you're a you you want to be a wizard they're just a bit like oh, <laughs> you know yeah. what do you, why don't you just go and be these standards um oh gosh that's a question you should ask as well like i think it's really funny about what actors what out of work actor jobs people have to do mm. and mainly i think in a like you say in a city because there's so many random things of you know hosting parties promotion yep. all these kind of things that only actors seem to do um yeah yeah I mean we know from like we we you know we used to work front of house together didn't we for a theatre and then but like during the day loads of us would have other jobs we could do whether it's like yeah. handing out flyers somewhere or promotion work or just maybe an office job which is part-time like you know and anything mm-hmm. anything you can to keep and it's and it's hard and then yeah finding the time to be creative and so I know I think the thing about when we were working in front of house was it was really fortunate because at that period in time and maybe this is a big city like now thank goodness things are a bit more regional with arts funding and there it's not london centric anymore which is how it mm. you know it shouldn't be at all um but in london theaters because at the time when we were there it felt like so many people at that time had just gone shoop 
to London. So everyone was in the same boat. So there was so much support for what everyone was doing. So everyone was just there, like living their dream. Mm. And I worked at other theatres after that, but it was never the same. It was just a real <laughs> lovely period of time. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't for you, Ed, but it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it was for you. No, it was... <laughs> I loved it. It was for me. I met um, so many friends for life there, though, at Jory Lane. Yeah, yeah, same. Same, a lot of people I'm still in touch with. And um, and it's great because even though, like, even like we've not spoken for what, two, maybe it's two years at least, like, mm-hmm. it just, it is like time hasn't really passed. And you just do sort of, you click back into, you know, um, yeah, it's not awkward, but I, I don't know. I guess it's just, I don't know if that's being a creative thing or I suppose Maybe. it's like that with people with families who are separated. Yeah, but, just but, like... but, that, but it's a similar dynamic. It is, it is kind of a family. It's kind of a dysfunctional family dynamic when you work in the theatre. Um, mm-hmm. Even even with like the cousins that you can't stand that you now have to work with. Um, <laughs> but they're still part of that and still embrace it, you know. Um, but uh, is, there, is there something you know now that you wish you'd known when you'd started your journey? Well, that's a really good question. Um, oh, really good question. It's a hard one because you kind of think, if anything changed, you wouldn't be who you are now. So it's like, I wouldn't change anything. Um, for advice... Um, don't stress about getting jobs or don't actually a really important one I would say don't rush into agents because Mm. I think especially now there's so you can really you can create your own work there's so many open castings from casting directors because you know on Twitter Instagram there's lots of opportunities and I think there are a lot of not great agents out there mm-hmm. um who can do more harm than good because I think especially when you're young you're like right I've got an agent now and it might stop you from pursuing things or writing to casting directors or making your own stuff because you kind of put you're like oh they'll they'll find me stuff um and that's not always the case so I think just be your own advocate and yeah just yeah, know your worth. And this has kind of gone from what I would <laughs> the advice to me to kind of advise generally to anyone yeah. listening who just started out. Um and it's a long road. Like I think like I was saying before, when you graduate and like when I was 21, I was like, I can't possibly do a three-year course now. Um like with time it will get better and you'll learn more and that will make you such a better actor. I would say I've seen that with so many people just be in it for the long road and find something like you said before that brings you joy that you can do alongside it and yeah I've rambled on there but (laughs) I think the agent one's key um because you can meet some and you're like right these will be really good for me or you sometimes there's times in the past where like, I've had a gut instinct that I'm like, I don't know if this will work. And I've still gone with it because like, I need to have an agent. And actually, looking back, it's like, what would have happened if actually I'd have... I think I've heard it loads on 
podcasts are about to say and like when you say no saying no is one of the only things you can do and that's your power because you feel like when jobs are few you think oh I want to come up now I've got to say yes or an agent's come up now and I've been looking for two years I've got to say yes and that is not the case there's more out there and other opportunities so just yeah take the time to think and do what's best for you and trust your gut that's beautiful advice Michelle thank you so much <laughs> I hope so I feel like it was really rambled <laughs> no 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 that's great um and is there something that you'd like to achieve that you haven't yet is there something you're you're dying to do that's in the future for you oh um yeah well I'd love to, I would love to be on a soap I'd love to be on Coronation Street because like, I there's so many things I could say about film directors that I love like Shane Meadows or Ken Loach I'd love to be in something like that and improvise Mm. and I really would but also I think because it's kind of maybe the root of my love of acting and storytelling yeah it's soaps I would love to be on a soap I'd love to finish my Blackpool feature film yeah I would actually I'd love to do a soap because I don't know as well like it's continuous work I would love to work with more independent film directors I'm Mm. kind of a stage and I don't know if it's a bad thing like what what opportunities come up like I'm here for him yeah <laughs> I feel like if you have a certain set idea in your head that's great and it's good to have goals um but I've been doing this so long now I'm kind of like whatever whatever comes to me I will gladly do it and see what happens um <laughs> yeah open mind and open heart bonkers <laughs> sorry brilliant. I just thought you said them you've got an open mind and an open heart to the whole thing <laughs> yeah I hope so that's <laughs> maybe if that's the way more things will come to you I don't know yeah well it's it's yeah there's only so much control we can't have we can create our own work like you have done um but yeah in, in terms of being part being a part of something maybe bigger like a soap which is like huge mm-hmm. um that is a that is a competitive one to get, but a great thing to aim for. And 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 why not? Why not? Of course, you deserve it's to be in a soap. I think they're so. Some of them have been going so long. I'd just love to know what it's like from the inside to know how that fast paced works and yeah. characters that have been there years. And it must be really hard to kind of slot into that world. So mm. I'd love to do that. I'd love to work on something brand new with someone. And you know, totally improvise a character. There's so many things, so yeah. many things. Maybe I'd like to go back to stage for the first time in about ten years. Who knows? <laughs> Whatever opportunities. Well, it's been it's been so great listening to you, your answers and your advice, which I think has been really good, um, especially really for people just like starting I'm, out. A frappled on a bit. No, no, not at all. Not at <laughs> people all. just starting out, like no, don't. Don't don't do the don't do the British thing and be apologetic. I am quite bad for that actually. <laughs> we all are. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna finish off with um ten quick fire questions. Oh go, I love these. Uh so this is inspired by the um, famous French interviewer Bernard Pivot, who inspired my favourite interviewer, who is James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio. Yeah. Um so this is uh, your final ten questions. Mm-hmm. What is your favourite word? Home. And what is your least favourite word? Hate. And what turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally? Time. 
And what turns you off? Stress. What is your favourite swear word? It's like bloody, but that's not a swear. Is that a swear? <laughs> <laughs> that's so northern of me. It's a very mild, it's a very, you know, weak swear word, Ed. We'll go with that. We'll go with that, of course. That's, your, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant answer. I don't think anyone's ever going to say that. Um, <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Seaside. And what sound or noise do you hate? Traffic. <laughs> you know, because I live near a main road. And yeah, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> is that the last one? No. Oh, what sorry. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Writer? Can I include that? Mm -hmm. If not, detective. <laughs> or a detective that writes. Um, <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? Oh, um, banker. Fair. And lastly, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh my gosh, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, oh my gosh. I think you can say anything as long as you don't say bloody. I was going to say, he's going to say, I can't believe you said bloody in that interview. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's going to say. Um, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, no, I ended on a, I ended on such a downer there. <laughs> um, Not at all. <laughs> this has been so good. Um, Michelle, is there anything you, you want to plug? Or anyone that you want anything no, anyone like, to take notice of? Um no, I can send you a link to the granny film you can put in the description anything you said. Oh, great. So um, were people able to watch it, even though it's still... Yeah, yeah, it's online now, even though okay. it's finished yeah. its festival run-ish, but it's still allowed to be online, so... That's brilliant. Um, I can send you that, and no, nothing else. They've probably heard enough of me, so I won't plug anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the Don't Think Act podcast. Thank you for it's asking me. Such a I joy. Hope I, make it, I hope I make it to the final edit. <laughs> of course you will. <laughs> we'll cut Michelle's out. <laughs> no no it's been brilliant well that was the lovely michelle crane there thank you so much michelle um it was so good chatting to you and um even better to hear that all back uh really inspired by you know the whole get up and go attitude it's it's so important to know everyone that as Michelle has displayed in this podcast that if you've got an idea there is no reason why it can't be carried out there is no reason why you can't find people you know there's so many people that want to tell stories and collaborate together and yeah you just you know yes it takes effort it takes time it takes courage and confidence but um you know these things are possible and these things are for everybody there's no reason why anyone can't tell their story that they want to tell. Did a little bit of a Google and remember that the play that I saw with Amory Duff was called Heisenberg, The Uncertainty Principle, and it was with Kenneth Cranham and Michelle. You were absolutely right. It wasn't the Wyndham. So if you're into reading plays, then I'd suggest um, looking that one up. I'm a 
getting it from a library or, or buying a copy of it somewhere because it was a really, really good watch. Um, lovely two-hander. And thank you, everybody. Fourth episode in. Um, I didn't even think I'd have this many, but it's, you know, it's growing. It's getting better all the time. It's getting easier all the time. I'm learning all the time. But what I will say is if you're getting something from this, if you're enjoying these podcasts, if you're getting inspiration from these podcasts, please give me a five-star rating so other people can find the podcast. Please tell at least one person that you know um, about the podcast. That'd be great. And if you could leave a review as well, that really helps um, get the podcast boosted up in the searches so that other people can find it. Um, and please, please, please write to me, send in your feedback. Um, how am I doing? I need to know because I just want this to be the best for everybody that's listening. So just, yeah. Um, are there questions you want me to ask? Are there questions you don't want me to ask? Um, am I speaking too fast? I know that happens quite often, but let me know how I'm doing. I want to, I want all the feedback, the good, the bad, the constructive, um, I want to hear it all. And that's uh, don't think act podcast at gmail.com. Oh, and particularly, please, 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 if you have any funny audition stories or actually any funny, embarrassing, cringeworthy moments in the industry, it might be a moment on set, it might be um, something in your day job. I once, during a day job, on my first day uh, working in a cafe, approached a customer to offer them organic jasmine tea and instead i offered them orgasmic jasmine tea first day on the job see everyone's got one anyway stay creative people and thank you for listening